of heights to the depths of the sea. It's interesting to me that Achish would take David back. Remember, just a few chapters ago, he feigns to be mad in Achish's presence. He sends him away. Get this madman away from me. And now he comes back now with 600 men. And there may be the clue. Maybe Achish saw that David, with his 600 lads, perhaps he could be used as a tool. Perhaps he could use David, bringing him under his wing. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The first time David went over to Achish of the Philistines, he was under the impression that there might be a place of refuge for him. God allowed that experience to quickly turn sour, and David pretended to be a madman so he could escape. In his discouragement and despair, David will try again and go down a road of sin he's been down before. This time, Achish receives David for two reasons. First, it is clear now, when it wasn't clear before, that David and Achish shared the same enemy. Saul. Second, David now brings with him 600 fighting men whom Achish can use as mercenaries. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 27. I think it was Elijah or Elisha. Told him to go down and dip himself. You know, he was uh, the the commander of the guard in Syria. And he comes to arrest him. and And the Lord strikes him with leprosy. And the prophet tells him, just go down in the Jordan and dip yourself in seven times and you'll be healed. And he didn't even come out and greet him. And he was furious. (laughs) And finally he gets it. Finally he goes down, he does it, and then he's completely blown away. But what would happen if he hadn't done that? I don't feel like it. My emotions are telling me that that's not really going to happen. So, verse 2, David arose and he went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And this uh, is obviously the same king that David fled to after he initially escaped from Saul, after he went to Ahimelech, if you remember, uh, and the priests in the city of Nob where he received those, um, those loaves of bread for sustenance for he and his men and where he also obtained the sword of Goliath that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel 21. But fear is a slave master, isn't it? And that's really what David is operating in, not really operating in faith, but in fear. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And then he says something really profound in verse 18. He says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love, perfect agape, it casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, for we love him because he first loved us. And there is that that idea. You know, perfect love casts out fear. Am 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 I in the love of God? 
Or, or am I outside of the love of God? You know, it's very easy to slip out from underneath God's promises of, uh, uh, under God's care and think that you've got to take matters into your own hands. And then in doing so, you find yourself fearful because you're not really walking. You're not really abiding in him. And then you're out from the protection of God. And that's when we get in trouble. That's when we get in trouble. And this word fear in this is the Greek word phobos, where we get our word phobia. You know, people who have a fear of spiders are arachnophobes, right? So it's a phobia. And David was undergoing a great phobia. He was in great fear. And again, where do you go? Where do you go? Remember when you were little, when there was a storm in the house or a storm outside, and who do you run to? If your dad was home, you'd run into his arms as a little kid or maybe run into the arms of your mother. And that's exactly what we can do to the Lord when we are fearful. We can run into his arms. And I like that. Run into his arms often. Don't allow yourself to try and figure it out. Don't allow yourself. But notice, in, as, as, we, as we're going to continue to read, there doesn't appear to be any prayer that David is offering up. And again, a very low point in his life. He's not praying either. He's just a, a wounded dog running from hill to hill, lying and, 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 and doing all these things. He still had some integrity, but he was very deceitful, as we're going to see with Achish again. Again, not, a, not the best time for David. One that he'll remember for the rest of his life. One, a, a period of time that he would write that would be the source of many of the words of the Psalms. Because David, more than anybody, knew what it was like to be in fear. And he also understood what it was like to be in the tender care of God. And he, he, and he knew the protection of God. And he knew that God was with him. And God is with you. Do you know that he's with you? You may not feel like God is with you. You may not even feel worthy that God would even help you. But is it about our feelings? Is it about our emotions? Is it about what we think of ourselves? Sometimes I find that the times when I've really blown it and then God blesses me right on the heels of my great failure, and then he blesses me somehow and it breaks me down. Because then I realize that, Lord, this, this really isn't performance this really isn't about my performance, is it? And he's like, no. I was going to bless you whether you stayed, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's times when we, when we really blow it and, you know, we, 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 sense that, um, we sense that hurt inside. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, when you, even when you've confessed your sin and you've blown it and you're walking around with your head hanging low, God loves to bless and he does it and then just it, it breaks you like an egg. I love that about the Lord. But there's no prayer here, at least nothing recorded. And I think if there was, the Holy Spirit would have saw fit to record it for us. But David was very uncharacteristic, very uncharacteristic. In fact, um, you know, fear is a funny thing. Uh, There was a study within the last five years, and it had shown that over 90% of the things that we fear do not come to pass. This article, I've read this before, uh, I don't know, about at least a year and a half ago, I think, But um, this article says, 500 years ago, Michael de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Do you hear that? My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. 
says, now there's a study that proves it. This study looked into how many of our imagined calamities never materialize. In this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. And lo and behold, it turns out that 85% of what's subjects worried about never happened. And with the, with the 15% that did happen, 79% of the subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. This means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. I find that true in my own life. You know, there were things that David was fearful of, but fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. We fear many things, but many of them don't come to pass. Winston Churchill said this. He says, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. That's true. Jesus taught us a lot about fear and about worry. Remember, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is a passage we, we know very well. And, and you know the funny thing is, is we can know it really well, but sometimes we don't always appropriate it to our life. I can know something in my head, but, it, but I don't do anything with it. I don't, I don't act upon it in faith. And I would encourage you, and I need to do this myself, that when I read the scripture, I'm not just reading it for head knowledge. I'm reading it for life, for real, personal, intimate relationship and and everything that I do in my life it affects everything that I say everything that I do and so this verse this chat this this passage is so important for us today because I believe there are many right now that are very fearful and they're very worried about many things and and take this to heart and read it again tonight before you go to bed pray over it read it and read it again and then go to sleep and have a restful sleep knowing that God has got you covered. What does it say? Verse 25, it says, Therefore I say unto you, Jesus said, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. And I I wonder what David would have uh, experienced had he had the the Gospels written for him, you know, back in 1000 B.C. when he was walking the earth. You know, because what Jesus is sharing here is 1,000 years older than David was. But I wonder what David, if he could have been hiding in a cave and reading these words of Jesus... It says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? There's, you know, if you think about worry, like David was doing, there, there's really nothing you can do. I mean, all it does is rob you of, the, of, of what you're going through right now, and it, and it taints what's happening next in your life. If we can somehow avoid the whole idea of worry, we would do ourselves a great disservice. There'd probably be less people. All the pharmaceutical companies would go out of business. Because nobody would be taking pills to fall asleep at night because I'm worrying, you know, or because I, you know, whatever. They're just always worrying and popping pills, just a pill for that. And then you've got to take other pills to counteract the effects of those pills. And next thing you know, man, you're like a walking pharmacy. 
I've seen, <laughs> have you seen some folks that you know they just open up their you know on their on their countertop in their kitchen. They just got this row. I mean, they they look like it's like what do you need? It's it's all there. Well, I take this one for my you know. I take this one for this, and I take this one to counteract the effects of that one. And because that one gives me a, a bloody nose, I take this to, to shrink the vessels in my head. But that gives me a headache, so I take Tylenol. And the Tylenol makes me feel kind of funny, so I take this other thing. Next thing you know, you're just, it's like M&M's. But Jesus says, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Now, many of us don't worry about clothing. See, you and I are blessed because we live in a country, and most people live in the world today, and they don't have to worry. Well, I should say a good chunk of people. But we don't worry about clothing so much. We worry about other things. But it's all relative, isn't it? Somebody else is worrying about clothes. We're worried about our job, or we're worried about whatever, our relationship. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, and they do today, don't they? Seeking things. Sometimes not even the necessities really anymore. It's just the things that they want, not even the things that they need. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have needed these things. But seek, here's the exhortation, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I wonder what David's life would have been like if he would have had this scripture, you know, and was reading it while he was hiding in the caves and running for his life. In Proverbs twenty nine twenty five, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. It is a good thing to trust in the Lord. He's trustworthy. Have you noticed? He's trustworthy. God is trustworthy. You can trust in him for all things. Do you have something going on internally and you're worried about what the CT scan is going to give you? Trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. David understood a thing or two about fear. Like I said, throughout his life, he learned that he could trust God. I love what he wrote later in Psalm 23. Remember, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley... Of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice it was, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not even I'm walking into death. No, just the shadow of it, the appearance of it. It's just that the shade of it is covering me, but not death itself, but just the shadow of it. And yet I'm so freaked out and fearful. And, it, and we can get that way. And David was certainly that way. That's why he was acting the way he was, completely out of a character from the man of faith that we see in chapter 17, where he just walks up, the whole army is, is quivering and shaking in their boots, and this young teenager walks up with a sling and five stones, and he runs after Goliath. And then after he knocks him out with the thing, he cuts his head off with his own sword, with Goliath's sword, because David didn't have one. What great faith this young man had. And now we see him, we're like, is this the same guy? But again, it's easy for us to 
Look at him. So David, verse 3, back in our text, he dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, remember Nabal's widow. It's interesting to me that Achish would take David back. Remember, just a few chapters ago, he feigns to be mad in Achish's presence. He sends him away. Get this madman away from me. And now he comes back now with 600 men. And there may be the clue. Maybe Achish saw that David, with his 600 lads, perhaps he could be used as a tool. Perhaps he could use David, bringing him under his wing. After all, by this time, David, everybody knew that David was an enemy of Saul. And so Achish is thinking, wow, I got me a nice rogue band of warriors here. And these guys are awesome. Their, their reputation precedes them. And as far as Achish was concerned, David and his 600 men would be fighting against the same enemy, Israel. Isn't that interesting? David and his 600 men fighting against his own people. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. And see, unbeknownst to David, this is the last time that Saul would pursue David. It was the last time. But David didn't know that. David had been on the run for a long time. Probably between seven and ten years, he'd been on the run from Saul. And then David, verse 5, said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let, me, let them give me a piece of, uh, in some town uh, in, in the country that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so David here, he's... He's deceiving Achish, wanting a city to dwell in with his men and their families that he might carry on in his deception. He's feigning to fight the Philistines, the the kings of Achish's battles, while really fighting the enemies of Israel. It's it's kind of interesting because the the king, as we're going to know, in fact, it tells us in the next verse, so Achish gave him Ziklag, which means winding, that day, and therefore Ziklag had, had belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And Ziklag is in the uh, southern part of Israel, uh, just north of Beersheba. And so what David was doing was uh, staying down there far enough away from Achish and then claiming to actually be fighting the enemies of, of the Philistines, which were his own brothers. You know, those in in, in Israel, fighting them instead. And we'll see that in just a minute. So verse 7, it says, uh, Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and 14 months. That's quite a long time to be in the enemy's camp. And David and his men went up, and they raided the Jeshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Now, these people groups that are mentioned here in verse 8 are actually true enemies of Israel. So he's telling Achish that he's actually fighting um, or that he, David is actually fighting the enemies of Israel, but Achish is thinking that David is fighting his own people. <laughs> Very interesting. 
So whenever David attacked, verse 9, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish, obviously with the spoil. And then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah. Was that truth? No, it wasn't truth, because he'd been attacking the enemies of Israel, not the enemies of Achish. Achish is thinking David's getting all this plunder from his own people that he's been attacking. So David is living this duality. He's claiming to be fighting the king of Achish, his battles, but he's not. At least not yet. (laughs) So, So David would say, against the southern area of Judah and against the southern area of the Jeremiahites, excuse me, or against the southern area of the Kenites. So again, David deceiving the king. And think about what a confusing time this must have been for him. A very confusing time. Living in the land of the enemy, claiming to be allied with them, And thank God, at least he's not following through with it. He's just being deceitful, but he's not harming his own people. And see, this is what happens when we are out of fellowship with God and responding only to fear. Responding to fear only in all all that's left for us when we follow fear and fall into fear is a train wreck in our own life. That's what happens. Verse 11, David would say, would save neither man nor woman alive to bring the news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. And so he didn't leave anybody alive on those raids that he made down to the real enemies of Israel, because if any of them lived... They would go back and report to Gath, or to Achish and say, uh, you thought he was attacking the, the people of Judah? No, he was attacking us. And it would have blown David's story out of the water, and David would have been um, found out. And so now we get into chapter 28. This is undoubtedly one of the most difficult chapters, one of the most intriguing chapters in the Bible, and I'm hoping we can get through it. We may get through all of it. We may get through some of it. But as we read this chapter, you're going to have the question arise in your heart, and which is what most people have done. And the question is this. Would God allow Samuel, because we know in, in, in chapter 25 that Samuel died. So Samuel is dead. And why would God... Would God allow Samuel, who was no doubt in heaven, to be conjured up in a seance? Was this really Samuel or an evil spirit feigning to be Samuel, communicating with Saul? And that's a question that many people, that's a valid concern. Because sometimes we see God do some pretty strange things. He allows some pretty strange things. One of the most strange, one of the strangest things I remember reading is in Genesis chapter 21, when Abraham, God tells Abraham, take your only son, Isaac, take your only son and take him up on a hill that I will show you and 
offer him there as a burnt sacrifice. Now, Abram knew, because he came from a pagan country in a a pagan environment. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.